Good morning and welcome to our Monday Chapel. On the bulletin for today, you will find our opening prayer, and uh, we'd like to pray that together responsively as printed. Okay, and we join together. O God, you inhabit eternity, and in your hands not only lies the measure of our days, but the measure of time itself. You have revealed yourself to mortal men so that life and immortality might be our holy possession. By your Holy Spirit, grant us that measure of faith which will look with longing for the day of the Lord as the final redemption from our enemies the day when we will enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God in all its fullness. Hear our prayer for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. St. Paul writes by divine inspiration, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
For if, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would now strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. It's estimated that only 5% of the U.S. population will actually watch someone die. So that would mean that only one out of 20 of you in here, one out of every 20, will actually get to see someone die, if those statistics are true. In my lifetime, I've, I've been at the bedside of many people who are very sick and were hours from death, but only once have I actually watched someone die in my presence. It was an elderly man, and uh, I had just finished reading the 23rd Psalm to him, The Lord is my shepherd, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And just within a minute of that, he passed away. So it was the only time. And it was a very peaceful passage in his situation. So what's it like when that actually happens? When, when that moment that we all know is in the future actually takes place? And I know when I was in college, it was easy for me to not think about that. Not that we want to dwell on it, but it was something that felt so far away that uh, maybe I didn't consider it as often as I should, too. This past weekend, we had about 240 or so high school students on our campus, and one of them came from a high school north of Milwaukee, and uh, we had just, they had just received word the week earlier that one of their schoolmates had died of cancer, uh, probably in the middle of her teenage years. When I was in ninth grade, ninth grade, a girl that sat right in front of me was killed in a car accident one weekend, and I, when I came back to class on Monday, they announced that she had died over the weekend. Total surprise to all of us. And uh, one of my grandmothers had died by then and one of my grandfathers. But that was totally different. When, when it was somebody like my age, from my generation, that really hit me. It had an impact on me in a completely different way. There's a great Scandinavian hymn writer by the name of Hans Brorsen, and he says it this way. Death doth pursue me all the way. Nowhere I rest securely. He comes by night, he comes by day, and takes his prey most surely. The context of the lesson that I just read to you from 1 Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonians, this was a congregation that had been newly established uh, up in northeast Greece. Probably many of these people who were there had at one time been pagans, um, and uh, had come out of different pagan religions. And there appears to be some confusion among them about the resurrection and what's actually going to happen with that and when Christ returns and things like that. 
And so Paul seems to really be addressing that uh, actually in both of his letters to them. And there's often been tremendous speculation among people about what does happen when we die. What, what happens to us? There's kind of a sense that we go on, something goes on. Even people who are atheists have this sense that there's something after this. And, and yet, it's kind of sometimes puzzling to people. Different religions and philosophies have tried to answer that. In ancient Egypt, they used to put a nail in between your teeth after you died. And the idea was it allowed your soul to go out through that hole, that gap in your mouth, and to go out into the world and then come back and stay at night like a hotel in your dead body. In India, many people believe that your soul jumps into an animal, um, especially monkeys. It's one of the reasons they have so, such a problem with so many monkeys. Some relig religions believe that your body had to immediately be burned because you didn't want the soul to come back inside of the body. It's one of the reasons Christians often had a hard time with cremation, because it seemed to be such a denial of what the Bible teaches us about the resurrection. So scripture does tell us that there will be a decay to our bodies when they're placed back into the ground, but the soul that God has created in each of you, that is immortal. It is a wonderful, beautiful, immortal thing. Listen to what Solomon writes about our bodies. Dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Gave it. So your body is about 53% water, they estimate. There are as many as 60 chemicals that make it up, and those are all found in the soil, in the earth. It would make sense when we see how God created our first parents creating Adam from a handful of dirt out of the ground. When you attend a funeral, I've had people tell me this frequently at funerals, that when their loved one, maybe a grandparent or someone close to them, when they go up to view them in the casket, they will sometimes say it just doesn't even look like them. And I think that's an indication of exactly what what Ecclesiastes would tell us, that the soul of the person has been removed. And um, that life that's now been taken out of them uh, just leaves now this, this body as kind of a shell of that person. And though we may recognize them, sometimes people say it just doesn't even look like them. So St. Paul says that God has set a particular day when he will come back and judge the world with justice. And on that final day, all of the dead... Uh, both believers and unbelievers, will be raised back up. Now just think what a sight that will be. Um, Hollywood can't even think about matching that. And imagine if you could wander through cemeteries on that day and to see what kind of a sight that was. They claim there are some places in the world where there may be cemeteries as deep as seven layers. And to think of all the people throughout time that will be coming out of their graves. And not just from the earth. Uh, my, my grandfather was a Lutheran pastor. And in 1914, took a trip on a boat across the Atlantic Ocean. And two people died on the voyage. And he had to conduct burials at sea where they wrapped the body and threw it down into the ocean. Think even from the oceans and the Great Lakes and other places where bodies will, will rise up on that last day. What a tremendous sight that will be. 
And God tells us that he has a very particular plan and a schedule for when that day will come. And all of this is under his control. And it's easy for us to, when we think about these things and talk about them, to have a little sense of uneasiness. Uh, Maybe even some deep-rooted fear inside of us. But notice that throughout Scripture, when God addresses these kind of subjects, the believer in Christ is told to look forward to these days, is told to look forward to this. And that's because of the tremendous comfort that we have because of the faith that connects us to Christ. Our Lord Jesus is the Son of God, the most powerful that there is, and he himself has gone through death and defeated it for us, and he now gives us this beautiful promise that those who are connected to him by faith, who put our trust in him, who rely on him for the full forgiveness he's given us because of his death on the cross, who, who by grace have been wrapped in his robe of holy righteousness before God, Jesus says that, that those who now are his faithful don't have to look at this as a terrifying event. And notice how comforting it is when God addresses death to Christians, okay? Right here in our text, Paul calls it that they are now asleep. Those who are, are believers in Christ are simply asleep in their graves. And, and God would have you look at your future death someday, and I hope it's not for many, many years, but God would have you look at your future, future death someday no more difficultly than you would a nap in the afternoon, This entire text before us, when you read it, is nothing but dripping with pure encouragement. Just full of encouragement for the believer in Christ. That's the the wonder that we have in the gospel. In fact, at the end he says, comfort one another with these words. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes and not another. It's not going to be some weird, strange body that that you have no idea about. It's going to be your body, but it will be purely sanctified and holy and glorified that will be taken and rejoined with your soul and brought to heaven. So comfort one another with these words, he says. It's interesting that if you talk to pastors, this is the text that they usually use for a devotion with the families right before they go into the funeral service. They'll often gather together before they all march in. And this is the text that they so often use because it's so full of such wonderful comfort in Christ. You know, the children of Israel, I'm sure when they looked at the Red Sea as it had parted and were now told to walk through that, I'm sure that many of them, especially the children, I could imagine were kind of scared to go through that. And then to finally get to the other side and to see Moses up above everybody on a rock and others who had gone ahead and to realize they were all safe and sound and the enemy that was coming behind you was starting to get crushed by the waters. What a a beautiful picture of God's powerful deliverance. That's kind of what we have as Christians. We may look at, you may look ahead at your future death and have a little bit of fear and and kind of be timid about it and everything. But God knows what he's doing. Christ has already gone ahead. He is the great rock that has defeated death. And he's parted the way for you and me to get through this with complete ease. And behind us, the devil and the enemy of death that's pursuing us will just be crushed and destroyed. And he wants you to look ahead with, uh, with hope and with comfort uh, for that day in your future life. May God truly preserve us and bless us in this faith. Amen.
Our final hymn will serve as our prayer. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in his peace. Amen.